Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Thursday, February 1st Street, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. Rising temperatures aren't just a distant concern. Riverside is feeling the warmth today with a high of 52.5 degrees and a low of 51.1. In today's top stories, we're closely following a political whirlwind as Republicans mount a challenge against mail ballot deadlines, a move that could reshape the voting landscape across the country. Meanwhile, with the mercury rising, cities are turning to the latest technology and heat mapping to lay down strategies against the scorching effects of climate change. And in a fascinating twist on ecological study, scientists are now employing spiderwebs as a non-invasive tool to trace and preserve animal biodiversity. Stay with us as we delve into these stories to uncover how they could affect you and the world we live in. In a contentious turn of events that could have broad implications for voters across the country, Republicans have taken legal action against extended mail ballot deadlines, this time in Mississippi and North Dakota. To delve deeper into what's at stake, we're joined by our reporter, Ethan. Ethan, can you break down for us what exactly is happening here? Good to be with you, Grace. So, the crux of the matter is that Republican entities, spearheaded by the Republican National Committee, have filed a lawsuit in Mississippi. These lawsuits argue that allowing mailed ballots to be counted after Election Day contradicts federal law. With conservative federal courts involved, there's a real possibility of a ruling that could have a ripple effect, potentially leading to a nationwide injunction. An injunction of that sort seems like it would have quite a significant impact. Could you explain to our viewers what an injunction might mean in this context? Absolutely, Grace. If the courts grant a nationwide injunction, States that currently accept late-arriving mailed ballots, which include pivotal swing states like Nevada and North Carolina, would have to stop. This would mean ballots arriving after Election Day, no matter the postmark date, could be invalidated. And what is the reasoning behind these lawsuits? Why are the Republicans pushing for this change? The Republicans, including the RNC, contend that extending the deadline dilutes the pool of valid ballots with invalid ones, essentially letting the election drag out beyond the date set by Congress. They argue this undermines the integrity of the electoral system. On the other side of the aisle, those who support the extended deadlines, what's their argument? Supporters, many of whom are Democrats and voting rights advocates, say the extended deadlines are there to ensure all valid votes are counted. Given that mail delivery isn't always predictable, deadlines account for any potential delays, thus accommodating voters and preventing disenfranchisement. These legal challenges, they don't exist in a vacuum. Could you talk about the possible political motivations behind these actions? Certainly. Critics allege that these lawsuits are more about politics than election integrity. Mail ballots have historically leaned towards Democrats, so by targeting these votes, the RNC might be attempting to gain an electoral advantage. This is a point of contention especially as the lawsuits come before conservative-leaning courts, a move perceived by some as strategic. Now, there's been skepticism about the legal basis for these challenges. What's the expert take on this? Yes, the legal basis is indeed under scrutiny. Experts I've spoken with acknowledge the potential for a national injunction but also question whether federal law explicitly forbids late ballot counts. It opens a complex legal debate that could climb its way up to the Supreme Court. 
And with so much at stake, what are the broader implications if the Republican efforts succeed? Should the lawsuits prevail, we could see a significant shift in how mail voting is conducted, with possible stricter deadlines enforced nationwide. This has long-term consequences, potentially reshaping voter turnout and disenfranchising voters who rely on mailing their ballots, especially those from remote or underrepresented communities. It's certainly a situation with far-reaching implications. Thank you for that comprehensive analysis, Ethan. Glad to provide the insights, Grace. That was story one of three for this morning's top news. Stay tuned for more updates. We're looking into a significant urban challenge today, extreme heat in cities, and how local governments are trying to prepare for it. With me now is our reporter Chloe, who's been digging into the details. Chloe, can you tell us what's being done to understand and tackle this issue? Gladly, Grace. Cities across the nation are turning to advanced technology, specifically heat mapping, to brace themselves against the sweltering impacts of climate change. The Kappa Heat Watch program, backed by the NOAA, is equipping communities with both equipment and expertise to chart out the temperature disparities within urban landscapes. Interesting. Can you break down exactly how this process works? Absolutely. Take Oklahoma City, for example. They've partnered with the University of Oklahoma and other groups, mobilizing volunteers to drive around with sensors attached to their vehicles. These sensors have been tracking not just heat but also air quality, pinpointing which areas, known as hot spots, are suffering the most from extreme temperatures. So what have they found out from this data? Some of the findings are quite surprising. In Oklahoma City, downtown areas were recorded to be 15 degrees hotter than the city's outskirts. And interestingly, an affluent area with plenty of trees was among the hottest spots, indicating that tree canopy alone isn't enough to stave off the heat. That's certainly unexpected. How are other cities responding to information like this? Cities are using these insights to craft smarter policies. Kansas City, for example, responded by passing a tree preservation ordinance, which now requires developers to replace a certain percentage of trees they cut down. Little Rock realized their hottest areas weren't cooling down at all overnight, a problem that could mean higher morning temperatures and increased health risks. Heating up and not cooling down. What kind of implications could that have for city dwellers? Well, it ramps up the urgency for cities to take action, Grace. The information from heat mapping enables cities to make targeted changes, whether that's increasing greenery, updating zoning laws, or reclaiming native habitats to cool these high-risk zones. And the benefits don't just stop there, do they? How else can these campaigns be helpful? Beyond identifying high-risk areas, these campaigns can prompt cities to take preventive measures like planting more trees and raising public awareness about the dangers of heat. It's also about equity, making sure that underserved communities are not left behind in the fight against rising temperatures. Support for federal assistance programs such as LAHEAP is also essential to protect low-income families from the dangers of extreme heat. I can imagine the data isn't always perfect, though. What limitations have been encountered? You're right, there are challenges. For starters, data gaps can exist in certain census tracts, affecting the overall accuracy of these heat maps. The nature of urban environments, with their myriad microclimates, also means that rapid temperature fluctuations can go undetected. Not to mention, the spatial resolution isn't always high enough if many people live a considerable distance from the nearest weather station. So, looking to the future, what improvements could be made to enhance the reliability of these heat maps? 
Leveraging Earth observations and emerging technologies could help us fill in the gaps. By improving the accuracy and reach of these maps, cities will better address the realities of extreme heat events and protect those most vulnerable to their effects. It's a burgeoning field with a lot at stake. Definitely an evolving situation. Thanks so much for that in-depth analysis, Chloe. My pleasure, Grace. Stay cool out there. Good morning, everyone. Here are some other headlines we won't be covering later, but they're certainly worth mentioning. First up, in a remarkable show of support, the European Union has confirmed a massive 50 billion euros aid package aimed at assisting Ukraine. This hefty sum is in addition to the substantial support the EU has already granted, taking various forms such as financial backing, humanitarian and military aid, as well as implementing sanctions against Russia. Notably, the EU has provided 785 million euros in humanitarian aid for 2023, over 1 billion euros in emergency aid and early recovery assistance, and has recently proposed a substantial 5 billion euros military aid package that includes training for Ukrainian fighter pilots and soldiers. As Ukraine faces the daunting task of reconstruction, the EU stands firm in its commitment to help rebuild the country's infrastructure, having already contributed over 40.6 billion euros in assistance since the beginning of the Russian invasion. Switching gears to the Middle East, tensions are heightening as Israel and Lebanon step up their war preparedness. This development raises the specter of a conflict that could destabilize the region and lead to significant human and economic costs. The area has seen some distressing engagements in the past, but despite a relative calm in 2022, the hostilities within and around Israel, Palestine, and Gaza in 2023 have unraveled any hope of continued peace. Protests at the Karim Shalom crossing and growing acrimony between Israel and Hezbollah are only adding fuel to the fire. Given the region's fragility, the potential implications of a larger-scale conflict loom large, with economies like Egypt, Jordan, and Lebanon already feeling the economic strain. In domestic news, President Joe Biden is riding high on the wave of a recent endorsement from the United Auto Workers during his visit to Detroit. This nod from the UAW comes amidst challenging times, as Arab Americans in the region voice their discontent over Biden's response to the situation in Gaza. Although his ties to the working class have been brought to the foreground, there's dissension within his party and among key communities, fostering some tension against his administration. On Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives has passed the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act, a bill valued at a whopping $78 billion, aimed at enhancing child tax credits and restoring business tax breaks. With a significant majority vote, the bill now faces an uncertain future in the Senate. President Biden has expressed his intent to sign the bill, which could have wide-reaching effects on the economy and social welfare, including stimulating job creation and promoting domestic research expenditures. Lastly, European farmers are up in arms, protesting multiple concerns impacting their livelihoods. High production costs, challenging green regulations, and tough trade policies have spurred these protests across the European Union. The war in Ukraine has only intensified their struggles, leading to supply interruptions and trade issues. Protests have ranged from road blockages to demonstrations at important locations in France and Italy. The European Commission's response to their plight has prompted accusations of political hypocrisy, 
particularly around climate policies. And that's a quick overview of the current situations making headlines this morning. Stay with us for more in-depth coverage of the day's top stories. Moving into our final story of the day, it seems the natural world continues to amaze with its untapped resources. Researchers have just turned the spotlight on an unexpected ally in biodiversity monitoring spiderwebs. To help us unravel this web of information, we have Ethan, our specialist correspondent on new scientific discoveries. Ethan, can you tell us more about this breakthrough? Absolutely, Grace. It's quite fascinating. Scientists have published a study in the journal iScience that reveals a new use for spiderwebs. They are effectively natural air filters that capture environmental DNA from animals around them. This discovery holds the potential to greatly assist conservation efforts and to refine our methods for tracking animal diversity worldwide. Spiderwebs and DNA, now that's not a connection most would make. How do these researchers go about collecting Edna from spiderwebs? The process is delicate but straightforward, Grace. The teams collect webs carefully from natural settings like woodlands, keeping the spiders in the webs intact. Back in the lab, they extract DNA from these web samples. If you can believe it, they've successfully isolated DNA not just from spiders, but from other terrestrial vertebrates whose remnants were captured in the silk. Once they've got the DNA extracted, what happens next? They go on to amplify the DNA, Grace. This step is crucial as it multiplies the minute quantities of DNA and makes it possible to analyze which species are present. In some instances, they'll use what's called DNA metabar coding, a technique that allows the identification of multiple organisms all at once from those amplified segments. It sounds like a powerful tool for researchers. Can we speculate on what the implications of this finding might be? Certainly, we can. For starters, it suggests a low-cost and non-invasive way to keep an eye on biodiversity, which is vital for conservation. Beyond that, the potential applications could range from pest management to biogeography. This technique could provide us with unprecedented insights into animal populations and their movements without directly interfering with them. With new techniques like these, there must be concerns over the accuracy and reliability of the DNA collected. How are the researchers handling this? Great point, Grace. They're very meticulous about the collection and analysis of these samples. For instance, they sometimes gather web samples under controlled conditions to minimize chances of DNA degradation. There are specific methods, like the CTABPCI method, used exclusively to extract DNA from spiderwebs. They also validate their results by comparing the genetic material with known sequences of both spiders and various prey. Incredible. Before I let you go, how are the scientists ensuring that this isn't just a spiderweb of false leads? Any checks and balances? They follow strict protocols to prevent contamination and ensure sample integrity. Plus, any findings from the spiderweb DNA are likely to be cross-referenced with more traditional biodiversity monitoring methods for corroboration. This layered approach adds robustness to their research. The natural world never ceases to impress with its mysteries and solutions. Thank you. Ethan, for shedding light on this intriguing development in conservation science. It's been a pleasure, Grace. Nature often holds the key to our most pressing questions, and in this case, spiderwebs are opening a new doorway to understanding the intricacies of our ecosystems. Thanks for tuning in to our segment with Ethan, and stay with us for the latest in news and stories from around the globe. That's all we have for now. 
Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo. GPT-3.5 Turbo. The Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.